0: This evening's scripture comes from the Gospel according to John, chapter 16, verses 5 through 11. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Grace Community Church downtown. It's good to see you all. Um, we're going to continue in our series, In Greater Things. I'm Steve Shepherdly, one of the pastors here downtown. I know most of you all, but if you're a guest, we'd just like to welcome you and say we're glad you're here with us. And we are going through this sermon series entitled, Greater Things. It comes from the Gospel of John, chapters 13 through 17. And our key passage among those four chapters is John 14, verse 12. Where Jesus says to the disciples, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. So, as you've been with us over the last several weeks and we've been going through this series, we've been looking at what are some of these greater things that Jesus talks about his disciples doing and believers doing, great things that Jesus would call us to do. Uh, uh, at the end of the day, these are Mostly things that shine a light on Jesus, that glorify Jesus, great things that Jesus calls the church to do that ultimately reflect Jesus' greatness. And invite people to believe in Jesus. And so that could be things like loving one another in the way that reflects Christ's love for the church. Or living in unity with one another in a broken and divided world. When believers live in loving unity with one another, it says something about the Father and the Son who live in unity together. And so it invites people to take Jesus seriously and to see his handiwork in the world. So Jesus calls his church to be about great, great things. And then we also look in these four chapters about how the Lord empowers us for those great things. Uh, To be able to accomplish those great things requires that we abide in Christ, that we remain in His Word. We're saturated in the Word of Christ. We know what He said. It also requires that we're sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, and we trust the work of the Holy Spirit. So tonight what we're going to look at is John 16, verses 5 through 11, the verses that Andrew just read. And we're going to talk about Jesus going away so that he can send the helper or the Holy Spirit who will convict people of sin. When you hear the word convict, does that give you warm fuzzies? (laughs) Do you have positive connotations in mind when you hear the word convict or to be convicted of your sin or convicted of wrongdoing? Most of us don't. If you've had a hard week, a long week at school or at work, And you come home on Friday evening to unwind, uh, do you order a really great pizza and uh, sit down and say, okay, I'm going to eat this pizza and have a really serious two hours, uh, like season of introspection and ask the Lord to reveal all of my sin. (laughs) If you do come talk to me later, because I'd be really interested to see what that Friday night looks like. Um, And I'm also busy this Friday, just so you know. Convicting is not something that we naturally find enjoyable. But Jesus gives the disciples this language about conviction as an encouragement to them. He tells them, it's to your advantage that I leave so the Spirit can come and do some convicting work. But that sounds counterintuitive. How is this good news? How is this uh, to our advantage? We want to dig into that tonight. And uh, at the end of the day, we're going to see that it's good news We're going to see that it's good news that the Spirit comes. Jesus sends the Spirit to convict us. And we're going to see two issues. We'll cover two issues. And kind of essentially, we're doing two mini-sermons tonight. Unless you be overly concerned, you're like, one sermon is long enough. We don't need two. Uh, We finished these quickly this morning in North Liberty. In fact, we finished both mini-sermons faster than Brooks finishes most regular sermons. So be encouraged tonight. So part number one is uh, what does this passage, what do these verses mean in their context? We're going to look at John 16 verses 5 through 11, the verses that Andrew just read. We're going to ask, what do these verses mean in their context? And in short, these verses mean in their context, it's good news that Jesus will send the Holy Spirit because Jesus calls the disciples and calls the church to preach a message of forgiveness of sins, but if the Spirit is not convicting people of their sin, they don't see their need of forgiveness. So it's good news for the church when we are called to share the gospel and share the good news. It's really good news that the Spirit is at work to convict people of their sin and show them their need for Jesus. So when we share the gospel, much of the work is already done. But the second thing we want to do tonight, the other kind of mini-sermon, is to look at an important implication of this passage for today. And I think there's actually something really important for us to sink our teeth into uh, for, for today. So let's look at the passage again. Uh, Andrew read it. We'll read it one more time just to refamiliarize ourselves with it. John 16, verses 5 through 11. Jesus said, Now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then in verse 8, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So, in the immediate context, Jesus says he's going to send the Holy Spirit, and this is to their advantage. Um, And this is good news to them, because they're in sorrow. It says in verse 6, But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. What are the things that Jesus is talking about that have caused them to be sorrowful? First of all, in verses 1 through 3 from the sermon last week, Jesus has told them, look, if you're my disciples, if you love me and if you follow me, it's likely that the world will hate you. Be prepared for persecution. Be prepared for the world to not sit easily with your love for me as your Savior. If the world hated me, know that it will also hate you. So he's told them, be prepared for persecution. Be prepared for some opposition as my followers. And there's sorrow over that. But the bigger thing is that he said, I'm going away. This is in verse 5. I'm going to him who sent me. And so the disciples are like, wait a minute, Jesus. (laughs) First of all, you're saying trouble is coming. We should expect trouble. And now you're leaving? (laughs) This does not sound like good news. And they're discouraged. They're sorrowful. And so Jesus wants to offer them this word of encouragement and this word of hope. So this is John 16, verses 7 and 8. John 16, verses 7 and 8 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. In the midst of your sorrow, I tell you this truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So, uh, Jesus, later in John 20, just a few chapters later, he tells the disciples he's just been crucified and then raised from the dead, freshly raised from the dead. He goes to his disciples and he breathes the Holy Spirit on them and he says, you go out and forgive sins. This is John 20, verses 21 through 23. We won't read it. But he commissions them to go out with this message of forgiveness. Forgive people their sins. And it's because Jesus has died on the cross and now raised from the dead. He's died for sins at the cross. Now he can commission them with this message of forgiveness because of his work at the cross. So Jesus commissions his disciples, and ultimately he commissions the church to preach a message of forgiveness for sins to the world. And this is why it's good news that he'll send the helper. Because if people need forgiveness of their sins, they first need to see that they need forgiveness of sins. And it's the Holy Spirit that convicts the world Of sin, it's the Holy Spirit that convicts you and me. If we've placed our faith in Jesus, when you saw your need for Jesus, it's because the Holy Spirit was at work in you. You saw your sin for the first time. The Holy Spirit continues to be at work in you and me, continues to show us our sin. We continue to call out for Jesus. But the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the good news, is only effective when the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. And so, this is a word of encouragement to the disciples. And so let's look at the three ways that people will be convicted. First of all, Jesus says, uh, when the helper comes, he will convict the world concerning sin. And in particular, he talks about the sin of unbelief. He says, uh, concerning sin, people will be convicted because they do not believe in me. So Jesus is saying there are people in his day Who have seen him, they've heard his preaching, and they're among the Jewish people, but they rejected Jesus as the Messiah. They did not believe in him. And so Jesus is saying when the Spirit comes, people will be convicted of the sin of unbelief, the sin of rejecting me as the Savior and rejecting me as the Son of God. The second thing they'll be convicted of is righteousness. Does that sound confusing? God will convict you of your righteousness, or he will convict sinners of their righteousness. It's like, if they're righteous, why are they being convicted? Well, if you remember something like Isaiah, where it says, Our righteousness is as what? Say it out loud. Filthy rags. I can barely hear it through your filthy rags. That wasn't planned. Can you believe that? That was an inspired moment. Um, <laughs> yes, our righteousness is as filthy rags. We have righteousness, but it's not great. <laughs> our righteousness does not measure up to Christ's righteousness. And so, therefore, we're convicted of our lack of righteousness. And then finally, concerning judgment. The Spirit comes to convict people concerning judgment. The ruler of this world is judged. He says in verse 11, the ruler of this world is judged, and those who are also aligned with the ruler of this world will be judged. So the Spirit's going to come to convict people of their sin, their unbelief in Jesus going to convict people of their lack of righteousness, that even their best deeds still fall short of God's righteousness and Jesus' righteousness, and convicting people of worldly judgment. And so it's good news that Jesus is going to go away, and greater things are going to be possible when he sends the Spirit, in particular More people are going to place their faith in Jesus. They're going to call out to Jesus for forgiveness of their sins. They're going to believe that Jesus is the Son of God as they're convicted of their sin of unbelief. They're going to see their need for His righteousness and His forgiveness as the Spirit comes, and it's going to make the preaching of the gospel effective. The greater things of more people coming into the church will be possible because the Helper is being sent into the world. So in the context of John 16, verses 5 through 11, it teaches us to share the gospel, teaches you and me to share the gospel, inspired by the reality that the Spirit is at work in the world. The Spirit's at work. Have you ever been intimidated to share the good news with somebody because you're like, I'm not sure that I know how to share the good news well enough. I'm not sure that I'm effective enough at sharing the good news I remember there was a time, I maybe have shared this in a sermon in the past, I was at uh, a youth convention growing up, and uh, there was a preacher talking about how important it is to share your faith, share the gospel. And I thought, you know, I've just been feeling this kind of urging from the Lord to do a better job of sharing the gospel, but I've just been intimidated and haven't felt like I could do it well. And so the preacher just kept getting us worked into this frenzy. Uh, If you've ever been to a convention like this, you know what it's like. You get into this frenzy. Your zeal gets ahead of your wisdom. And so I was like, I just got to get out of this room and go share the gospel with somebody. And so they flung the doors open and I went and I found that the first victim I could identify immediately is this poor young lady working behind a concession stand. at work. She has nowhere to go, so she's like a captive audience. And I start pummeling her with these terrible questions. Terrible, terrible questions. And she's awkward. She's uncomfortable. And then I'm awkward and uncomfortable. I'm like, this is not going well. This is like actually worse than most of the times that I would like ask a girl out for a date. Like, this is terrible. This is going terribly. And after that experience, I thought, I'm not sharing the gospel with another breathing person until I feel like I've got my gospel presentation down, until I know what I'm saying. And so I started working on it. I started talking with some pastors. Hey, how do you share the gospel? How do you share your faith with other people? And they started giving me pointers, and that was helpful, but I still felt intimidated. And I had questions like, well, what if they ask me this really tricky question about faith and science? Or what if they ask me this really tricky question about the Bible that I can't answer? And I felt so intimidated to share the good news because I thought it was all up to me. I'd gotten it wrong in the past. And in the, in the process of realizing, yes, I need to grow in this, I, I went beyond just like recognizing I needed to grow and be a little more proficient about sharing my faith. And it turned into this fear, this paralysis that I have to have everything worked out in advance before I can share my faith. And I wouldn't share my faith. I wouldn't share the gospel. And a lot of opportunities came and went because I felt intimidated and paralyzed. And it was passages like this that reminded me, you know what? You need to work and grow it knowing how to share the gospel But if it's all up to you, you'll never share the gospel. But if you remember that there is a living, breathing Spirit of God who has been unleashed in the world and who is at work in the hearts of people, you know that it's not all up to you. And it can give you courage and boldness to step out, knowing that underneath of you is a foundation that you can stand upon, not your own wisdom, not all your fine language and arguments. You can stand upon the Spirit of God who is at work in the world. And there are times that I've, I've sat in this building uh, with a good friend of mine who's not a Christian. We'd meet and talk a lot. Um, he was a student, and uh, we'd meet uh, quite a bit. And I felt like I'm, you know, giving him this great presentation of the gospel. Won't he believe in Jesus? I remember this one day, I was like, this is such a strong presentation of the gospel. Like, this guy's really going to place his faith in Jesus by the time we're done. And he said, you know, I think what you're sharing is true. I think the Bible is right. I believe what you're saying but I still don't want to be a Christian because I'm not done sinning. And I was like, my presentation was so good, but I couldn't talk him into the kingdom. And yet there are other times I've sat with people and I'm like, I'm not making a lick of sense. I'm trying to share the gospel. I feel like I'm not very articulate right now. And at the end of it, they're like, you know, I want to take a step of faith with Jesus. And it's because the spirit of God has been at work. I want to encourage you all, there's some ways you can grow in knowing how to share your faith. One major way is know how to share your story. You don't have to have every single theological argument all locked down and know the, the Bible with every jot and tittle in detail. If you can talk about how Jesus has made a difference in your life, share that with somebody, and that's a great opportunity to share the good news. And the Spirit of God can use that, but as you grow to become even more effective at sharing the gospel, you don't have to wait till you're some kind of master evangelist Because the Spirit of God is the master evangelist who does work in the hearts of people that we cannot do. Trust Him and step out in boldness, trusting that He's at work in the world. Secondly, let's talk about our second part of the message tonight. There's an important implication in this passage that we need to consider. This is not the primary point, I think, of this passage in John's Gospel, but I think it's an important point for us to consider tonight. So again, most of the time, we don't like the language. like We're not naturally drawn to the language of conviction. We don't like that. Part of that is nobody likes to have their sins and their failures and their faults put in front of them. It's kind of painful to have to look at our sins and failures and faults. Uh, That's not enjoyable. But I think there's a second reason why we kind of bristle at this language of conviction. And I think it's because today, culturally, inside and outside of the church, this is not just outside the church. There are ways that this is also impacting folks inside the church. When we think of conviction, we think about how humans render judgments about other people. The Spirit renders judgments about our deeds and our actions, of things that we've said, and He convicts us of our sin. But humans can also render judgments about one another and find them falling short. But the way that we often judge other people, and I think increasingly these days, the way that we go about conviction or rendering judgments about other people looks a lot more like condemnation and not conviction. It seems to me about 10 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, we were riding culturally this wave. Uh, I think it was a holdover from cultural relativism. Everything is relative. There is no truth. And on top of that, there's no moral truth. So just do whatever you want. do whatever you want. doesn't matter because there's no moral truth. And don't judge me because there is no moral standard. A lot of language of don't judge me because everybody should be allowed to do whatever they want because everything's relative. That was a really popular wave that was sweeping through culture. I think it's part of the extension of postmodern philosophy in our time. If you want to talk about that, I'd love to do that and drink coffee with you. That's another day, another conversation. But um, that was really popular. But I, I think over the last 10, 5, 10 years that sense of cultural relativism is really waning. I think most of us are pretty convinced that there are moral truths and there are moral absolutes. And we're rendering judgments about one another, whether we have fallen short of what is morally right and morally good. And if we fall short, these days, increasingly, especially online, boy, are we apt to call other people out. And it's not mere conviction. It looks a lot more like condemnation. How often on social media you see somebody spouting anger, anger and vitriol because they've seen somebody say something or do something and it's probably something wrong, and yet their way of approaching them is to just heap copious amounts of angry language at them. It's not just pointing out, hey, you did something wrong. This is something you might want to amend. It's anger, vengeance. It can also look like unsubscribing or canceling people. And that's kind of, in a strange way, it's like a religious practice that people used to do. It's called excommunication. Religious people had a way of saying, you've done something wrong and now you're out of the community. You're not in good standing with the community because you've done something wrong. That's something the church did in the Middle Ages and in the 1500s. And now there's kind of a new wave of that showing up as we cancel people that say something that we think is inappropriate. That we render a judgment about them and cancel them unleashing moral indignation upon people. Sometimes I feel like the, the rants that I see online are less about trying to change somebody's behavior and more a way of saying, I'm morally superior. And from this high position of moral authority, I can speak down to somebody else's misdeeds. Conviction today often looks like rendering a judgment about something somebody did or said and unleashing all kinds of disapproval, shame upon them. And it doesn't seem to be aimed at changing them. It doesn't seem to be aimed at giving people opportunities to say, you know, I was wrong and asking forgiveness. It doesn't seem aimed at helping people amend their ways. It looks a lot more like condemnation, writing people off, putting them outside of a camp, heaping large amounts of shame upon a person. But how does the spirit convict? Is that how the spirit convicts? The Spirit certainly shines a light upon our sin, and He does it accurately. There's, there's never a doubt about the Spirit's accuracy of convicting sin. Sometimes we make judgments about other people, and we convict them of certain things, and sometimes our judgment about other people is wrong. They haven't actually done something wrong. We just think it's wrong, and so we can... Heap all this guilt and shame upon people. But the Spirit's conviction is sure, it's true, it's right, and it lines up with the Scriptures. So the Spirit sh- certainly does shine a light on our sin. And that's the whole point of John 16, verses 5 through 11. The Spirit comes to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So the Spirit does shine a light on our sin. But there's a second step that the Spirit takes that our ways of convicting people does not take. When we condemn people, we don't take the second step. The second step is that the Spirit not only shines a light on people's sin, but then the Spirit immediately points people to the foot of the cross where that sin can be dealt with. That is not something that our condemnation culture does. And again, I see this not only in culture, but I see this creeping into the church. Lord, help us to not become a people who heap condemnation upon people and don't know how to point them to the cross, which is their only remedy for their sin. Let's look at Acts 2, verses 37 through 38. We'll see this, these two layers of the work of the Spirit at work. So what's the context, Acts 2? Two, Acts 2, Acts two um, Jesus said he would send the Spirit. Acts 2, the Spirit comes for the very first time. And everyone, the sign that the Spirit has come is that everyone's speaking in tongues. These disciples are speaking in tongues. At this time, there's a large Jewish crowd that has come um, for Pentecost, for a Jewish uh, festival. And there are all these Jewish people there. They're not Christians uh, because they're there for this Jewish festival. And they see the disciples freshly filled with the Spirit speaking in tongues and saying, What's going on? (laughs) That's something I've not seen at most Pentecosts, um, at least up until that time. And so Peter says, what you see happening is that the spirit that was promised in Joel has now been poured out. But then he goes with that attention. The, the crowd's attention has been been gripped. And so now Peter preaches this long sermon about Jesus. Saying the Jesus that you crucified, this was actually the long-awaited and long-promised Messiah of the Old Testament. And he preaches this really powerful message, freshly filled with the spirit. Powerful message that points to Jesus being the son of God. And what is the crowd's response? Acts 2, verses 37 and 38 says this. When the crowd, they, the crowd, heard this, meaning Peter's sermon, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? There's the convicting work of the Spirit. Spirit cut them to the heart, showing them their sin of unbelief. That these are people who did not believe Jesus was the Son of God. They'd been around and knew about Jesus. And they did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. But once the Helper comes and is convicting them... All of a sudden, the preaching that Peter gives is powerful, and it transforms them. It shows them that they have had it wrong. It reveals to them their sin of unbelief. It reveals to them that actually Jesus is the Son of God, and we've been complicit in his arrest and his crucifixion. So they're cut to the core, but that's not the end of the story. What happens next in verse 38? Peter said to them, repent. He says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit shines the light on our sin, he shines the light right on Jesus and said, there's an opportunity for forgiveness. And I don't know about you, but as I get older and realize my fallenness, my faultiness, the sin that continues to linger in my heart in spite of the ways that God has helped me to grow, that never stops being good news. That the Spirit shines a light on our sin, but then directs us right to the cross where there's forgiveness and mercy and grace. That's the convicting work of the Spirit. It doesn't stop with condemnation, though our deeds warrant condemnation. He doesn't stop with condemnation, but shines a light on the cross of Jesus where we're forgiven, where we're shown mercy and grace. And this is really, really good news I think an implication for us today from this passage in John 16 is that in a culture, both inside and outside the church, where we are increasingly prepared to condemn one another, the Spirit not only shines a light on our sin, but shines a light on the cross where sinners are forgiven, sinners are accepted, they're redeemed, and the Spirit starts to transform us for good. And this is really, really good news. Tonight, if you're a guest with us and you never placed your faith in Jesus, I'd encourage you to do that. I'd encourage you to take that step tonight. If the Spirit has shown you your sin and you have shame and a sense of guilt and you're worried about eternity, you're concerned about eternal life and what will happen to you after your After you pass away, I'd like to encourage you to place your faith in Jesus. There's mercy and grace. And Jesus will wash away your shame. He will wash away your sin. You will be with brothers and sisters here who have had their sin washed, have their shame removed. You will be with brothers and sisters who continue to mess it up. And our sin continues to be washed away by the blood of Jesus. And we find fresh and new acceptance by him as the Spirit shows us our sin and then directs us to the loving cross of Christ. You will be among brothers and sisters who daily find joy in God's grace we'd invite you to join us and experience God's grace tonight. And if you're doing that for the first time, I encourage you to fill out a Connect card. We have Connect cards here, and you can drop them off in the back. We'll be in touch with you and help you take those steps of faith. We'd love to do that. You'd be among friends who daily find joy in God's grace and forgiveness. I love that, that sense that in today's culture where we heap condemnation upon people for their wrongdoings, and kind of dismiss them, and write them off, and push them aside. The way that the Spirit works is He convicts us of our sin, shines a light on the cross where Jesus washes our sin. And what does God do? He doesn't push us aside. He doesn't dismiss us. He wraps us in a fatherly embrace. We are richly accepted when the Spirit shows us our sin, and then shines a light on the cross. There's acceptance, and I invite you to experience that acceptance with God your Father tonight. For Christians, those who are already believers in Jesus and walking with Jesus, I'd encourage you to be cautious about how we think of the Lord using us to show other people their sin. The Lord will use you as a conduit. The Spirit can be working through your words to help brothers and sisters become aware of their sin. That's important that we speak the truth to one another That the Lord allows us in our relationships where we're close enough to know one another to be able to say, I think I see a sin issue going on in your life, and I want to talk with you about that. It's because I love you, I want to talk with you about that. And so the Lord would have us to be instruments for honing and sharpening one another, for pointing out one another's sin. But as we do that, we need to be careful that the way that we do that reflects the work of the Spirit and is a conduit for the work of the Spirit, that we don't become one-sided, that we become speakers of truth but without love that we become speakers of truth without having it laced with grace. That we're not excellent at showing people their wrongdoing without then pointing them to the cross of Jesus and walking with them hand in hand to the cross of Jesus where they can experience His grace and His mercy. May the Lord help us as His people help other people see their sin as the Spirit uses, but may the Spirit also help us then to shine a light upon the cross of Christ that we don't come one-sided in trying to walk alongside the Spirit and helping people to see their sin and just leave them in condemnation. But thirdly, if you're here tonight and you're walking with Jesus and you feel lots of shame for things that you've done and you're working to overcome sin issues but you're struggling with those sin issues and you still feel shame and you feel condemned tonight, I'm gonna encourage you to consider that that's not the voice of the Spirit that's condemning you. It's not the voice of the Spirit that's condemning you. He doesn't speak that language. There will be a day for condemnation and destruction at the day of judgment for those who have refused to place their faith in Jesus. But while the door is open and while the light still shines and while it's still daytime, is the way Jesus put it, there's an opportunity for you to place your faith in Jesus. And as long as you are open to him, he will convict you of your sin, but then wants to, to shine a light on the cross where there's forgiveness And he's not the one that wants to heap condemnation upon you. If you feel that sense of condemnation, that's likely not the Spirit. And I want to free you from sitting under that condemnation and instead encourage you to run to the cross of Christ for his forgiveness, his mercy, his grace. He'll wash you. How many of you know the rich feeling of him washing you of your sin? I remember that feeling seeing it hit my son for the first time. He was like three, and we were praying and at bedtime and read through a Bible story and talking about something he had done that day. And he's like, Dad, you know, I, I sinned today and I feel, I feel guilty for it. I said, Sam, what do you think you should do? And he's like, I'm, I'm not sure. And I said, well, Sam, we should pray. You know, I've sinned too and I have to ask God for forgiveness. So we took a moment, we prayed and raised our hands to Jesus and said, Jesus, we've both sinned today. Would you please forgive us? And Sam was like, yeah, I believe that's real. And I said, Sam, do you know what he's done with your shame? He goes, what? And I said, I just kind of rubbed my hand over his face and I said, it's like he's taken it and he's thrown it away. And my son was bewildered and laughed in, in like disbelief. He's like, daddy, say that again. That's what Jesus does for us. Lord, we're grateful to you tonight that you sent your son Jesus to die for us. We thank you that while we were yet sinners, and deserved death and damnation. We did not deserve your fatherly embrace. We've run from you. We've been rebellious. It's in that state you determined to send your son to redeem us and to save us by grace. Thank you for loving us so much. And Lord, thank you for the work of the Spirit that you will not allow us to remain in our sin that you will not allow us to continue in an uneasy relationship with our sin, the sin that can separate us from you, the sin that can cause us hurt and harm in our lives, the sin that uh, causes other people to experience pain. We thank you that there's the work of the Spirit to shine a light on our sin and to remove it from our lives. We thank you also, Lord God, that your Spirit then directs us to the cross where we can see mercy. For those, Lord God, who are placing their faith in you for the very first time tonight, I pray that you would give them deep joy, joy that only comes from you. Help them to know that they are not defined by their past. They are defined by the perfection and righteousness of your very own son. And help them to take steps of faith with you and help us to have a chance to take those steps together. And for believers, Lord God, I pray that you would use us as instruments to speak the truth to one another, help us to be able to show other people their sin, but Lord God, also help us to be able to show people a path to the cross where sin can be dealt with. And Lord, for those who are struggling with shame tonight, may your spirit speak to them and remind them of the truth of the scriptures, that for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation. And as we find our life and our hope and our joy in you, Lord God, We pray that we would also glorify you with our lives. We ask it all in Jesus' name, amen.